Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, welcome to the 412th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patron Sean Paul Cardamon, and you can check out his work at AmericanPrimitive.org. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Warren Kaplan. You can check out my work at DirectedByHorn.com. Booyah. <laughs> <laughs> and mine at MrMattEnlow.com. We were like, we have a podcast for nine years. We haven't even promoted our own stuff. So why don't we? We're doing it. Speaking of people not promoting the right thing, we just had the Nelms brothers on for two hours of the podcast to talk about their movie, Red Right Hand, starring Orlando Bloom, coming out in theaters tomorrow if you downloaded this episode on February 22nd. But uh, we barely talked about the movie until the very end. But it sounds really, really cool. That's because we had such an incredible time talking to them. It's a really rich story. And I think, Orin, you do a good job of setting it up at the beginning theirs is a case study in incremental success right they start off literally making a movie in essentially their parents backyard for fifteen hundred dollars and end up with a movie starring real bona fide movie stars in theaters 15 years later not bad guys not bad they also made the movie fat man which is stars mel gibson as santa claus it's funny they came to la basically at the same exact Mm -hmm. time that i came to la maybe one year earlier and they just, they spent the first 10 years just grinding it out. And it's, it's fun. It, you know, it's like so nerdy, but like when we have filmmakers on that their journey is similar to ours time-wise, it's mm-hmm. funny because we all like talk about the same cameras. Sure. <laughs> and uh, yeah. we, we don't, we don't get overly technical in this interview, but we do mention a few cameras that democratized filmmaking. There's a nostalgia to it for sure. Like to be in Los Angeles at the same time as these filmmaking revolutions are happening and being reminded of how fun and electric it felt, you know, like when the internet was a new thing, when good looking cameras were like finally available to people outside of like rental houses when you didn't have to pay to like shoot film and then transfer it in order to edit it, like all of this stuff kind of happened as we were in our twenties. And so of course it's like seductive to wax poetic a little bit about the good old days. And uh, I think we did actually a pretty good job of, of not uh, going too deep. There's a little bit of arc light, little arc light talk. <laughs> arc but, light um, love. Yeah. Maybe you'll, maybe you'll edit it out. Mm, probably not. <laughs> I mean, people don't even know what the arc light is anymore. With it's coming back. Allegedly. 
So Red Right Hand is available now if you're listening to this, unless you're a super fan, in which case tomorrow. So February 23rd, 2024, you can see it in theaters um, and also all of the places that you normally rent or uh, buy movies. Yeah. See Orlando Bloom as you've never seen him before. Mm-hmm. Uh, before no. we get into our conversation with the Nelms Brothers, I want to take just a minute or two more to talk about uh, our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Just Shoot Pod is the place where you can throw us a buck or two. We've got a new live show uh, coming March 20th. So if you want to be the first to hear about the details of how you can get tickets to come see us live with some uh, incredible filmmakers, patreon.com slash just shoot it pod. You can support us, throw us a couple bucks. You'll be in the know. And we'll also plug whatever you want us to plug. Give us your website. Give us your Instagram account. When you sign up, let us know uh, what we should say in the beginning of the episode. And if you are already a patron, email us and remind us to plug you. We'll do it happily. All right. Well, without any further delay, let's learn about the epic trajectory. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. 
of the Nelms Brothers. Okay, we are here with the Nelms Brothers, Ian and Esh, Eshem. Either or works, uh, you know, so I would answer to both. I, you know, if you have a tricky name like Eshem, you respond to almost anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that's awesome. And which one of you is older? Eshemus. Uh, just by a smidge. But I think once you hit uh, our gentlemanly age, it, that difference just vanishes. So you guys are filmmakers. I feel like why we were excited to have you all on the podcast. I mean, we, we've known about you and, you know, I think your last movie, Fat Man, got a ton of press. But um, just like looking at your career and looking at how you guys keep uh, directing feature after feature. And it, it, mm-hmm. it like you have kind of this very picturesque. I don't know if it looks like this from your point of view, but like stepping stone type of career where it's like mm-hmm. you made a few shorts and then. You made uh, an anthology with some friends, and then you made a feature with a, like some small, smaller stars, and then another feature with some bigger stars, then another feature with Mel Gibson, and then like now another feature with uh, with Orlando Bloom and um, Andy McDowell, Andy McDowell, and Andy McDowell, uh, and it's like it just seems like you guys have cracked this code of how to <laughs> keep making movies and mm-hmm. get bigger and bigger every time and get bigger stars and. Yeah, I don't know if I don't know if we personally like when you're in the middle of it, it doesn't necessarily feel like that. Um, yeah, I'll say we're we're you know ambitious and as most people are that jump into this business in any kind, right? So you're you're constantly looking at where you're at and where you need to be or where you want to be or what the next step mm-hmm. is. Sure, or, you know sure. what I mean? So you're always you're always in the forest, hard to see the trees. Uh, you're trying to weed whack your way to the other side constantly, and the side just keeps continuing to get further away and thicker because your goals get thicker and further away. Yeah, and I guess yeah. in that way, like we're masochists, right? Like we just keep moving the goal line further and further away. <laughs> so you like you achieve one hurdle that you're like, oh wow, God, you know, I don't even know if we, when you first start, you you ex- expect to get there, and you're like, oh wow, we sure. made it to this hurdle. We actually like made a feature length film, and then you're like, okay, well let's up the ante where we're not spending our own money to make one. What does that feel like? You know, so it's just like, and then you get actors and things like that. It just starts building up. And just just from listening to the podcast and listening to you guys talk about your careers, I feel like it's similar. You know, like you guys are. You're you're making some big commercials. You're working on TV shows. You're you know what I mean. You've got all these features. You you're working on pushing, and you've got avenues to get them going now. And it's just you know, it, it feels like you have you have a place to do your art in a lot of different avenues. Whereas when you started, you were just kind of like, how the hell do I get somebody to look at this fucking thing? You know, like mm-hmm. how, how do I how do I get who's how do I get into this place? How do I get into that place? And then when you can get into those places, you're like, okay, how do I get all my stuff made? And then you're like, okay, once you start getting things made, you're like, okay, how do I get bigger things made? And then you start getting bigger things made and you're like, okay, how do I get that $150 million sci-fi shot that I've, why, why the fuck haven't I gotten that, that $150 million movie? You know, like we gotta, we gotta step up our game. You know, you're constantly like pushing each other, which is great. Yeah. But when there's a, you're a directing team, you can each get like a $75 million movie and then <laughs> together... Technically, there. <laughs> yeah, like, but yeah. but I mean, I, I'd venture to guess that like this is not scientific, but like ninety nine out of a hundred filmmakers that go and make their first film, and they, sure. it's an indie film, or they get someone to finance it. It's kind of small, and they're like, okay, we did it, and they premiere it like an okay festival, you know, like a Newport Beach or something like that, and they're like, awesome. Now the next movie is gonna get the bigger star, and 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 ninety nine out of a hundred of these filmmakers do not get that next don't, movie. Don't make that incremental step and you've continued to do it over and over again. And they're yeah, pushing gotcha. and then they have some kids and they have then they need to make some money and then they need to do this and then they get distracted by this thing and that thing but it's really hard to to just go from 1 to 2 and then I got to 2 barely and then from 2 to 3 I, I just 
gave up and just you know, started making commercials. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, you're on a hiatus. You'll circle back. You'll get this. Certainly <laughs> well. You certainly will. And and from what I've heard, you know what I mean? You're making bigger commercials with bigger people and bigger budgets. And like, I, I can't wait for that moment when those start to coalesce as well, right? When you're like, hey, I'm on the set with uh, Tom Cruise's new commercial. And Tom said he'd come in and do it. You know what I mean? Like Tom and I are now talking about this new action film that we're going to. And reference. I'll say this. Ian and I have gone several <laughs> times to our team. And I'm like, hey, can we shoot some commercials? And like, you guys have no experience. <laughs> you have no experience in <laughs> commercials. So like, really? I'm like, yeah, yeah. No, it's a whole different world. <laughs> oh, okay. Like, all, right. all right. I guess we're going to be over guess here. we'll go Wait. back to features. <laughs> when, you say com- when you say team, you mean like you're agents and managers or agents and managers yeah 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 exactly <clears throat> well, well that's your first mistake <laughs> <laughs> those people aren't going to get you commercials well, yeah well do i like, get a commission on that no. yeah we don't know <laughs> how commercials work um yeah no it's interesting i just worked on a project um some commercials a couple weeks ago and the agency had just done a campaign with tyler sheridan and it was okay. like his, he was directing, he was, and it made me think about, you know, that, that thing where like these kind of like well-known filmmakers get to make commercials and how interesting, like, you know, how you, ha- you have to have such a big brand. Like, I think the commercial he did was like a Western type of mm-hmm. thing. Uh, like Essentially, that you have to be such a big brand that the creatives say things like, oh, we wish this is going to be like if Tyler Sheridan directed a commercial, that's the pitch, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and then there, someone was like, well, what if Tyler's available? You know what I mean? Like it. Yeah. Should we reach out to his people? Should we it's reach a strike. out? There's a strike. Let's see if they'll, if they're available. I do we got an extra $10 million. Dollars in the yeah, yeah exactly. Let's, let's, let's <laughs> try it. I, I wonder with those fancy pants, the name brand directors who are known in the feature world or something like that, if they are doing, the same job that Oren and I do. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I just, I can't imagine that they're laboring through a four hour conversation about what pillow we should use <laughs> put on the bed. Do you know what I mean? Like, like we're, we're in the thick of it, like yeah. teammates with the creative director and really kind of ingratiating ourselves to the team. And I, I just, I can't imagine that like, you know, uh, a superstar, does that same sort of work? I don't know. I'm curious. So, so they, I will they say, absolutely don't. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it depends on who it is, right? But like, I know. Uh, so I did professional storyboards for a few years. Oh, you story- were a storyboard artist. Yes. And so I oh, storyboarded. Wow. Do you just know the of... Pierce brothers? I was gonna say, yeah. <laughs> don't, I don't know them. I don't. Yes, know have them. similar you guys, vibes. We are gonna put you on a quadruple date. And you'll be best right. friends. <laughs> They're a directing duo. They had the number one movie in America. They're a <laughs> during, brother during directing COVID. duos, one of whom is a professional storyboard artist. Oh, wow. What was the movie, yeah. Or It was called The Wretched. Oh, gotcha. I'm going to check it out. I got to check it yeah. out. Yeah. yeah, great. Always, always yeah. looking for good uh, brother duos. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah. I will say, like, you know, um, I've had the pleasure of working with some, some great directors. Um, and, they, you know, there some of them are notable feature directors, and they put up with the same stuff. You know, yeah, yeah. You, you have a client in, and you're catering to the client. doesn't matter if you did Spider-Man or whatever. It's sure. you, you're in that position. And I think, that, yeah, I think that maybe that is their relationship with the client. But in terms of preparing for a job or winning a job, like I know, I know, I won't name any names, but I know a number of like very famous directors that don't 
write their own treatments. Mm -hmm. They don't even like know what they're pitching when they get on a call with a client. <laughs> amazing. Yeah, yeah. That they have and they have teams. They have literally in the same way that composers, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I was shocked on my, like when I made my movie and I you know, hired a composer, he would introduce me to other people that are writing other parts of music. And then he told me, oh, this person is actually in Hans Zimmer's team and they compose music for him. And they, mm -hmm. he composes music yeah. for John Williams. And I was like, are you? I thought John Williams composes the music in Hans Zimmer. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, they'll do like the main theme. But all this other music sure. is written by all these other people. And, like, and that's, well, I listen, think directors have that too. If we wanted to hire someone to do a Guy Ritchie impression you could hire someone else and not hire Guy Ritchie, who's going to hire a, someone to do an impression of him for the prep. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, well, we were just told, we were just stuck. We were out, uh, we're getting ready for another project to go out. And uh, we were just told, hey, just go to the site and use the AI to build your deck. I'm like, <laughs> Are you serious what? right what? now? Like, you're Ooh. actually advocating that we go do that? Like, that's a terrible idea. Like, how yeah. am I going to <laughs> Have you guys tried writing in the style of Nelms Brothers? Into <laughs> no. I've I, never, um, I've never, we've never tried messed with the AI yet. What's yeah, wrong with you guys? I don't know. We're, 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 we have not endeavored. You, you want to tell me that's really Orlando Bloom in your movie? <laughs> Actually, Esh just put on a mask and he went for it. Mm -hmm. he, <laughs> he killed it. it I mean, it pretty all. incredible. Well, okay, so let's um, talk about your movies for a second. Um, so you mentioned, Esh, that your first movie you guys paid for, right? We paid first for feature? quite a few of them. Quite a few of them. Yeah, first few. Uh, we can we can go through that through it real quick. Yeah, how, so, how, how, much, how big is the bandwidth for this <laughs> journey? Sure, sure. So uh, it's good. We'll we'll hit the gas and pump the brakes depending exactly. on how fast okay. it yeah, yeah. How interesting yeah. it is. So in uh, 2004, we got we came into, into LA in 2002, uh, not knowing anything, not knowing I have a clue, completely naive. Esh started working at ArcLight Cinemas. I started working at Tony Romas, a place for ribs, mm -hmm. and then in Beverly Hills, and. Uh, we, for a year we were writing and, you know, thinking Wait, we were killing sorry. it. I, I have to ask, what was yeah. your favorite movie on your Arclight name tag? I, I had Big Ash. Lebowski. Big nice. Lebowski. That's great. Yeah. That's smooth. Great. They just have like 30 name tags that say Big Lebowski. On. <laughs> oh no. He's like, yeah. I mean, when I, once I thought, cause I, at the time I was like, oh yeah, no one's got this. And then I went out and there's like three other Big Lebowski. Like, oh man. <laughs> I was like, oh man. I should have really Either you're story. best friends with them now or mortal enemies. It's <laughs> No, they we're good. Were, we're all good. It was, were, it was a tight knit group. I mean, uh, they were killed. Yeah. Arc, <laughs> no, ArcLight was great because honestly, it, it just hired a ton of people that were really passionate about cinema for better or worse, better for us, worse for them, because all we would do is just sit around and talk about movies all day. Yeah, that first wave, especially, you know, that Esham was in because he, he hired he got hired like within three months of it opening. And I everybody in there was, you know, a cinephile was hustling hard and writing at night. And like we were all we would all get together on the weekends and just I mean, I don't drink, but everyone would sit around. We would all just sit around and drink and hang out and and pontificate and, you know, listen to music and then start shooting shorts in our living room. And like we would just we were just going crazy. And then Esham and I were after about a year of writing. And thinking, well, no wonder, Wait, you know, sorry, real quick. So at Tony Roma's, is everyone just talking about ribs? <laughs> Tony Roma's was littered with actors. I can't think of a bunch of them we still work with today. Uh, well, a few of them we still work with today. Um, but or like, actually, I'm, I'm blooming onion. Is that true that that's where his name came from? Yeah, yeah there you go. The I, I, I do want to point <laughs> out, that, though. Like, the Outback? That is Outback. So let's, yeah, yeah. let's come on. Yeah, yeah. Get your <laughs> chain from, the, from the podcast. You don't want, I want you to get you that Tony Romas commercial. Did you, are you still at Tony's Romas? <laughs> Only on the weekends. <laughs> now you get to eat the ribs. Um, 
the, I think that isn't not to wax philosophical about the good old days of Arclight cinemas, but like, you know, people write into the show all the time and they'll be like, hey, should I go to film school? It's still a common question, right? And the answer is always, oh, well, you know, that's one way for you to find an education. Maybe you need the structure, blah, blah, blah. blah. But the, always the big takeaway is like, will you find that group of like-minded people, your your squad, your tribe, that yeah. you'll be making films with for the rest of your career, right? And I think it's worth highlighting that like that experience can happen a lot of different ways. You can get paid working at a movie theater and find that group of people just as much as you can spending tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars at film school instead. You know, yeah. it's just kind of like, can you find those hotbeds? And and maybe there's a little bit of luck to it as well, right? Like uh, it, the new cool theater that's opening up tends to be a magnet for people who care about movies. Yeah, you're absolutely yeah. right. And uh, Ian and I, we kicked, we definitely thought about going to film school. When we moved here, you know, Ian had just graduated with his um, Bachelor of Arts degree. And I had just dropped out of uh, art school which I went to Kansas City Art Institute for painting and drawing. I only lasted a year there before I uh, I got booted out. Uh, not for anything I did, just uh, lack of interest. And I lost my scholarship because, you know, I, I was a very opinionated artist. And, Butting heads with a couple of teachers. And, and I could I could play the game now, but I, uh, I you know, my professor and I did not get along and he made it apparent and, and rewarded me with the grades appropriately for that. Um, so, I, <laughs> so I came back that summer and Ian and I were like, man, we should, you know, we'd always had a passion for movies, but we're like, well, let's, take this plunge and we, we we hopped in my Volkswagen van. We loaded up his, uh, what did you have at that time? I don't know, a Toyota Prius or a Camry? A Camry. I think I had a Camry. Yeah, Camry. And we came down here and we moved right off a of Yucca. Yeah, moved right off a of Yucca, you know? And then sure. like, we just like hopped off the Hollywood, freeway. Basically? Oh, yeah. 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 We Terrible. just hopped yeah. off the freeway and we're like, okay, I guess we're here. Like, let's find mm-hmm. an apartment. And, and any advice anyone asks us, like, you know, what do you think? Like, do not live in Hollywood. Like, number one. Like, <laughs> it's not the place that to go. Is not, I mean, it's, it was cool for about two weeks. And then it was like, yeah. wow, this is a lot. Um, but so we got jobs within walking distance. And we, were, we did the film school tour. So we went to USC and they were like, hey, if your favorite movie Star Wars, like, you belong here. You know, right? And then we went over to, like, UCLA and they were like, if your movie's favorite movie, Star Wars, like get the fuck out. That was literally what the two the two <laughs> intro like, speeches was, were. Yeah. And, and then, then we went to LA film, LA film School, and they were like, "Hey, we got all the equipment. You know, we don't really we don't really hold your hand here. We want you to get out there and start busting your ass and making yeah. shit." And we're like, "If oh, your favorite movie is Phantom Menace, you're in the right." <laughs> <laughs> Come here. But then they were like, "Yeah, that year three, you'll get to touch all these cameras." And we're like, "This is not going to work out." Yeah. So. I'm driving around in my little beloved 84 Volkswagen van again, which I have to this day. And I get rear-ended in LA. And fortunately I'm mechanically inclined. So I, we take the insurance money and Ian, we find a partner that is equally as enthusiastic about movies at Tony Roma's. And we partner on the DVX 100 camera, which is, was oh, yeah. a game changer at the time. So we just started yeah, running around. Yeah. Oh yeah. Shooting everything, all kinds of short films. Like I remember we, we wore the heads out in like two weeks and then we went to the we went to the the shop to the Panavision. He's like, I've never seen anything like this in my life. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen a camera with this many hours on the head. How the, the hell? Came out two months ago. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah, it was impossible that we'd already worn out the heads. We're like, no, dude, we've been shooting like constantly. We never stopped shooting. <laughs> um, but but that was it. We just started making movies, and we and they weren't great, right? We were writing like you know. Films we could go shoot in the woods with some with like five friends from the restaurant, and that was the first feature we shot. Is we wrote something, and I remember <laughs> I, I put the script together. 
uh, we were like, we were like, we gotta get, make something we could shoot. This is after being a year in LA, because people would read our stuff and they're like, this is fucking huge. How are you gonna get a fifty million dollar budget for this? And we're like, I don't know. I, don't they hand those out somewhere? I mean, I think the first thing we wrote was like. Mad Max meets Saving Private Ryan. That was like our pitch pitch line. Tom Cruise walking (laughs) into an airport. And and we quickly realized after a year that like, we're not going to get these made. We got to start at the bottom here and start making something we can make. And obviously the problem is, is that they haven't seen anything made of our wonderful dialogue and and scripting. So once we get something on the, on an actual movie here, you know, we're obviously going to win Sundance and be toast to the town. So we put $1,500 together. <laughs> wait, wait. But why did you think that you guys, like, did you have, like, your own style? Or were you kind of, like, doing, like... We knew nothing. We have no, no idea what we were doing. Like, no. Not even close. Like, we, were, mean, we weren't watching Tarantino and being like, we got to cut like this. We were just, like... We, we knew what we liked. Like, like we liked five Tarantino. Easy, we yeah. liked Tarantino a lot. But we were, like, watching Five Easy Pieces and Last Picture mm-hmm. Show. And kind of had that in our heads as we were kind of mo- motoring into it. <laughs> not that what we not made, that was, what we like made was anywhere near as good sure, as that. Yeah. Not even <laughs> yeah, Those were not the planet. films I was expecting you guys to name drop. <laughs> right? sure. No, not at all. Tootsie. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Graduate. Yeah. So we go out and we make – Ian writes this script. It, so we're trying to figure out what to write. I just, in, like, two or three months, write this script. And it was, like – 82 pages long and i pass it to ash and i'm like i've done it i've got the golden goose here and you wrote it in movie magic uh, yeah back when movie magic was a thing he he reads it and he goes hmm and i'm like what'd you think what'd you think man what'd you think we're ready to go right he's like i think we could make this into something <laughs> that's what his comment was but we it, but it was just like going out there and we knew we could go shoot it for nothing uh, our dad lit it with a with the stuff we'd bought at Walmart. Like a our dad card. was a our mom and dad were professional photographers for about twenty years, and uh, he still had some equipment in the garage because he'd sold the business by the time we had finished college. And did they, uh, did they live in L.A.? No, they live in uh, Vice. Well, they live in Woodlake, California, which is basically Visalia adjacent, a half an hour behind Visalia near the Sequoia Forest. So they, he had a couple of studios. He had one in Porterville, one in Visalia, one in Hanford, and he had a lab in Visalia as well. So he was he was like king of the valley there. Um, but he never really went to L.A. or he never really just leveled up. He was just kind of like, hey, I'm good here. Um, but he still had some equipment in the garage, and we're like, all right, well let's. Let's get some of dad's equipment. Dad, can you help us light this? And it was a three-man crew. It was me and Ash switching off on the camera and mic, and our dad came out to help light. Yeah. And so and dad was like- light lit with strobe light. Well, dad, <laughs> well, so we, our location was, we're like, hey, let's go shoot this in the woods. That was fucking bright. So mm-hmm. nowhere to plug anything in. Uh, we had to buy like 10 batteries, and we had to charge them every night. Uh, we shot for seven days, at, which felt like seven days Sorry, straight. And, and just to clarify for any young listeners out there, when you say batteries, you mean camera batteries. You couldn't run lights off of any sort exactly. of battery. Exactly. There's like, nothing out this there. This is a pre-LED era, basically. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> so we, the whole thing was lit with a Coleman lantern from Walmart at, at night. Like we were shooting night scenes around a campfire. We're shooting fucking night scenes, and uh, we got That's the fire. They're pointing all the car headlights, right? Yeah. <laughs> we, the cars were there too were far no away. Cars, there were no down by a river. We had to hike a mile and a half in. <laughs> So dad, dad got the horses and put all the equipment on the back of the horses. Wait, you guys own horses? Our, Our parents, parents own do. horses, yeah. yeah. We do. So they um, packed in the equipment for a mile and a half because it was too heavy for everybody to carry a mile and a half. And then, uh, yeah, dad hopped off the horse, tied him up. And then for the next eight or nine hours, we were down there shooting our asses off. And we got a movie out of it. And we ended up going to Palm Beach Film Festival. We learned how to edit. We didn't have any idea how to edit. So I cracked open the Final Cut Pro manual and I read that thing. He read the entire thousand page or 800 page manual. (laughs) 
and then I showed Ian how to showed do me it how to do it because I was like, 20 I'm, minutes. I'm not fucking reading that thing. <laughs> <laughs> and then we put the movie together. We got into Palm Beach International Film Festival, which was like a top 10 film festival or top 20, sorry, top 20 film festival at the time in the early 2000s. Um, and we went there and we were just kind of it was it was kind of amazing. We were sitting in 250 seat actual movie theaters like AMC movie theaters mm -hmm. watching it with like 50 people and then 20 people and people were laughing at the right places. And we became so self-conscious after that screening. We cut it from 82 minutes to 72 minutes when we got home because we were just sure. like, it's got to go quicker. What were we thinking? Yeah. This is like once yeah. we saw it with an audience, we we're just like, oh, fuck, we see all the flaws. So essentially um, it was an extended short. But we were mm -hmm. we were completely hooked. We were just like, oh, we got to do this again. Yeah. So we we got into a handful of other film festivals, but with that one, but we immediately went to our filmmaker friends who were working at ArcLight with Esh, and we said- And many of them had graduated from film school. Yeah, a bunch of them were film school grads. And, and they were, Peter Atencio is, above, is among that group. Who is a high school uh, film Which school. Which a film student. high school. Film high school. We were like, what, where's that at? Colorado, oh, apparently. The, the, the Mecca. Is, I'd forgotten that. Peter was on the show, boy, years ago now. Yeah. Um, and has a- Was it for Keanu or something? Uh, I think it, me, was it Keanu? I think it was. What did he do after Keanu that? Peele. Before he no, did, it was like a TV well, show. He was oh, like, Van Damme Johnson it? or something. It was that heart that that yeah yeah. Was it that okay. giant TV show that what, it was? Yeah, it was like an action. Yeah, it was yeah, like yeah. Uh, shot in like in the Czech Republic or something. I don't know. Right, I can't remember. The name yeah, of it, but, in Prague. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, wait. So did you guys sell this movie? What was the name of this first movie? First movie was called Squirrel Trap, aptly named. It was uh, a comedic thriller, as we called it. About um, uh, five junior college kids that go into write, go into the woods to write a paper on Thoreau, and things go a little crazy. One Someone of them goes off their meds. One of them goes off his meds. You can you can imagine the rest. Um, but so not a cinematic triumph by any means. <laughs> I think it we did, got, it did get into festival. Got into and, film festivals. It got like, into film festivals. Like were you guys like okay, let's quit our jobs? This we found our calling. <laughs> Uh, absolutely not. We were like, we got to work a lot harder because we're getting yeah. a lot bigger budget. On and, and we were just like, wow, we have so much to learn. Uh, yeah, we saw all the flaws in it, obviously. And we're just like, shit. Okay, but we were hooked. Like, we loved it. The experience was awesome. And and really, honestly, we were like, oh, wow, I'm going to really enjoy getting better at this. And a lot of people mm -hmm. at that film mm -hmm. festival, like, it was such a it was such a new camera and such a new age, the digital age that we that had literally just come out months before. And we pop up at a film festival with possibly one of the first uh, feature film shot on that thing. Cause it was like three months after that camera came out, we had a feature film at Palm Beach International Film Festival shot on that thing. And everyone was yeah. like, what, what, what'd you I, Well, I remember we were too, we were like writing Panasonic and we're like, Hey, the sound is drifting out of sync because no one had cut anything over 15 minutes with the camera. <laughs> sure. And so after 20 minutes, it starts drifting two frames. Yeah. And so then they came out with that, that a patch. frame sync like a few months later, but we had to like go and like start just cutting the timeline, like sliding it over every 15 But it was minutes. the first time they'd even heard it when we were using the camera. They were <laughs> like, what? What? And we're it's like, yeah, crazy. it's fucking slipping. Sorry. This is probably not interesting to anyone, you know, uh, <laughs> under 30, but like, was it like the 239698 drift issue? Was that what it was? Like, what you it was it pull down? Yeah, the pull down issue. Yeah, it's a yep. standard yeah. def, right? So you're cutting like 60i or something, right? Well, like, yeah, it was, no, it was 24p, 24p over 60i. The 24p with the pull, pull down interlace or whatever it was, the 3244 yeah. thing. And it was like and mini then, DV tape. Yep. Mini yeah. DD, exactly. Yeah, standard def. And, Yep, and uh, and and we were like, this is liberating everybody. We're all going to be out like Francis Coppola had proclaimed, making our masterpieces. Right. The coolest thing was that we were we were at that festival. Like the lowest, the other lowest budgeted film at that entire festival was another one for one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and they were just like, "What the fuck did you spend on your film?" And we're like, 
fifteen hundred dollars, and they're just like, "What? What?" We're like, "How? Well, what was your budget?" And they're like, "Hundred fifty thousand." We're like, "We're like, what?" They're like, "We thought we were fucking scraping the bottom at one hundred fifty grand." We're like, sure. "Well, they probably wow. were." And well, know? they shot it on film, right. so like everybody else was on film. Well, no, they shot it in high def. On those, oh on yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, on big high def camera. They did have high def, but um, yeah. So then after that, we we came back, we showed our friends, and they were polite. You know, I wouldn't say that they were they were you know, blown away. No one was, yeah, tripping over themselves thinking how genius it was. But we had made a film, and I think that was literally the comment one of our best friends said after we screened it at the house. He was like, well, we're out on the balcony, everyone's smoking cigars. And he's like, well, you made a film. <laughs> that was the comment. And honestly, like, that was enough for us. You know, we yeah. made a film, and like, and then they came to us. And, and like, you were hey, acknowledged as, exactly. as filmmakers. We are uh, now just just filmmakers. for the record, guys, don't say that to anybody ever. Like, figure something else out. <laughs> ah, you made a film. Really? <laughs> Way to go. Yeah. I think yeah we all know what that means. <laughs> I think it depends on the tone. No. <laughs> There's an old 30 Rock joke where uh, 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 Tina Fey's character would go to see Jenna's shows and she would say things like oh i really loved the lights and it was like a montage of every time she would say something <laughs> yeah not quite like a kick in the nuts but maybe like an elbow in the nuts yeah yeah it's yeah. not not a, not a compliment not hate it's just like well okay hey you know it's but, yeah. something but the but people were like hey how do we get on board this train yeah the one thing they mm-hmm, were sure. was really excited that we were actually able to make something they were just like holy shit like you know these poor bastards working these shitty jobs and not having any money were able to actually put together a feature film that screened at a festival that's crazy um and so we got three months later we were in production shooting uh, night of the dog which was the second one and what we did was we just went and got our filmmaker friends there were six of us. I think four of us ended up writing and directing our own short. I think it was five, but the fifth one got cut out um, just because we started screening it. And the fifth one was it needed work. And the filmmaker was kind of like, and we were already at a feature length. Yeah, I don't know if I want to put that much work into it. And we're like, all right, well, maybe mm. we go down to four. And then he just became a producer on it and was like, yeah, and, that's fine. And he was like in the other ones. And he anyways. was acting in all the other ones, which was his passion anyway. So he was he was totally fine. But, but yeah, and then so that one ended up, uh, we've spent a whole five grand on that one. That one was 5000 And then we went to all the film festivals that we barely squeaked into with that one. And we ended up winning awards at them. Yeah, we won a bunch of screenwriting awards. We won a big award at Santa Barbara International Film Festival, which came with like a, a distribution award. Uh, and we refused to take the distribution because, of course, Focus and Miramax were going to call at that point. Sure, of course. Um, which, which they ironically did. They actually did. Focus called. Miramax called. Neither of them wanted to distribute it, but, but they, we got we got the call. We got the call, and they <laughs> sure. wanted to watch it. And they were just like, "What?" Because we kept winning all these festivals, and they were just like, "What the fuck is it about this film?" And it was highly entertaining. Like everybody really, you know, really tried to lay it all out on the on the on the table, screenwriting wise. Um, but I think the production level was just so low, you know, at $5,000 and we're literally shooting in the streets of Los Angeles with like mm-hmm. 600 feet of extension cord crossing streets <laughs> at four o'clock in the morning. Cops Is are this still by. DVX 100. Yes. Oh yeah. oh yeah. And so we put that film together. We got, we won like, I don't know, half a dozen film festivals. Um, and we actually had two DVXs because I know Peter Atencio right. bought one. That's right. Sure. Peter bought one. Peter and then we one. had one. And so we were all out running around. It was we- cool because we actually were cross shooting and like we were like, this makes cutting so much easier. But it was Boy, lit like it- shit. <laughs> it looked fucking garbage. <laughs> yeah. But you could cut it together, cross cut it. We're like, wow, if we had a you know another light, this would look fucking great. <laughs> well, it looked terrible, but it great to us. <laughs> but, it, but it was fun and, and it ended up charming a lot of audiences and we ended yeah. up getting uh, some audiences awards. And, and and on we went to the next one. So from, from did, there, did we, it influence you? Like I guess from the directing part of it, like the working with actors or blocking mm-hmm. scenes or choosing camera angles, were you guys 
do you feel like those first few features kind of helped uh mm -hmm. establish your your tone and like the way the types of filmmakers you are i think that or, what we were able to see really. was that what we were able to see was that the writing was was working we felt mm -hmm. like the writing was working after those after the after after the after night of the dog we felt like we had finally hit a little bit of a stride of like okay well, i can see some of this working now where is finding a trap? voice right yeah. Okay, yeah. some of this is actually working. Yeah, like, like I think it worked on, a, on a, an entire feature level. Not that we wrote the whole thing, but like we were able to inter intertwine all of our voices enough to make it work. And I know in Squirrel Trap, there were parts that worked. Yeah, parts. That, that's, a, that's a good way to put it. In Squirrel yeah. Trap, parts worked. And in Night of the Dog, the whole thing kind of worked. Like everybody was laughing at all the segments as we were intercutting them. And we were able to, to put the gold back to back to back. So it was pretty stacked up with entertainment and laughs and yeah. keeping people Were the stories related to each other in Night of the Dog? So, so the, the, That the was one of the fun ways yeah. that we put it together. Go ahead. So the concept was, and we'd all gone through like critical breakups at the time. So we were all like- You're in it, your early 20s. You've had that bad, you've had a couple we, of bad We all breakups. moved to LA to fulfill our dreams we all had girlfriends at the time and then we all became single everyone's like, living off seven dollars and fifty cents an hour of work and, and tell time. me why i don't know why it is but that's like contagious it, 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 like <laughs> one of us got single and they just rippled throughout the whole group so we're all sitting there crying in our cheerios drinking cheap beer and we're like wow we should really make a movie about this and so the premise was hey we're we're gonna do all of us five idiots it's got to start in the same place so it started at a movie theater truly original right? we all worked, worked at the, the movie, movie theater, theater. <laughs> anyway so we're like hey why don't we just go shoot the movie theater and it, and it was uh and five they guys you? they did not but we got another one arclight let us use a, a room upstairs for squirrel trap one time and that yeah. was super big of them that was awesome because for nothing and then in night of the dog we went to bakersfield where i went to college and rented out an actual like massive theater not rented it out but a buddy of mine was a manager there and he was like yeah come in after one o'clock in the morning i'll let you shoot for four hours and i'll just hang out we're like hey can sure, we trade you yeah. like cleaning the popcorn machines or right something? and we put him in it we put him in it because he was an actor as well but you know living in bakersfield and he was excited for us to just come down and do something there so we used that theater we shot about four or five hours one night from like one to six o'clock in the morning or something like that um that's like a pretty good tip that i don't think we've ever talked about <laughs> over like 400 yeah. episodes which is like Make friends with managers of locations. <laughs> of locations, sure. Especially uh, yeah. outside of Los Angeles. Like, yeah. who doesn't yeah, want to be can... in a movie if you live in Bakersfield? Right. Like, like here, if you wanted to, if we wanted to shoot a commercial in a movie theater, they'd charge us like ten thousand dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. 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 And I, you'd I mean, still I... shoot from one to four a.m. <laughs> exactly. Hundred yeah. exactly. percent. And, and I can't tell you how many times. Uh, We've called in the network of who we know, right? Hey, we go. Sure. Like, this person yeah. owns this warehouse. Let's let's go let's go see if we can throw them in it and do that. It's a but, version um, of the the hometown feature, like I saw. I'm curious though. Um, while you guys are shooting this movie, I imagine this is one of the earliest times that you're on set around other directors. It's a relatively rare thing, right? So, like, if you're all kind of wearing different hats, and I imagine like one of you's home holding the boom pole for the other person when it's their time to direct, and you know, just kind of like trading and helping each other out did that inform your craft and process seeing how other people were doing it for their pieces or was 100%. it more just kind of like for yeah. sure like, i mean some we, of the some of them went to film high school yeah <laughs> sure. i mean look everything. everyone was fucking up in magical ways <laughs> on every one of those shorts and everybody was just like eh, not gonna do that Ooh, that was a good idea and then we get yeah. to the next one and be like god that was a fucking disaster but wow that was brilliant you know it was like there were moments that were just fucking brilliant and then there were moments that were just like 
wow, what a fucking disaster. Like, you know? let's let's not leave the catering meat platter in your trunk overnight. <laughs> and then try to feed it to the crew or do feed it to the crew. <laughs> yeah. And get everybody sick. Everyone's vomiting. That's a bad idea. <laughs> Did you guys feel like the filmmaking was competitive at all? That everyone's like, oh, yeah. Mm. Like yeah, Esh, sure. Esh came up with a really the, good shot. And you see that shot, Esh? Yeah, yeah. I think we were, we were, we were healthily, thank goodness, we were, we were all really good friends. And we were all healthy, competitive and because I, I feel like we would all help each other. You know what I mean? Like, so everyone would crew each other's film. That was the whole idea. So there was nothing but like trying to help each other out, especially since none of us knew anything. Yeah. And we'd also entered a make a movie in 24 hour. Contest. That was the first time we'd all work together <laughs> right in between those two movies. There was a point where they were, they had this contest in New York and they were like, Hey, make a movie in 24 hours, start in your hometown, do one in 48 hours and then send it in and we'll pick the best one in each area. And then you come to New York and we'll fly yeah, we'll, you over. We'll fly you in if you win and you can do one there. So yeah. we, we got all those same collaborators and we made a movie in 20, in 48 hours. Yeah, like we ended up qualifying. Short. So they flew us to New York. And that uh, was ex- yeah, a great experience. And we all ran around New York and made movies. Yeah. That was, that was a really fun experience sure. too. Yeah. It was super fun, but we all got used to each other working that way. And then when we were doing <laughs> these features, <laughs> I mean, there were just, I mean, and the cool thing was, is it, it, it didn't cost a lot of money. We didn't have a lot of money. We didn't have any money. So it didn't cost any money to like jump back out on the street at three o'clock in the morning and shoot a reshoot. So there was a lot of that. Oh, that came out like shit. I can't yeah. cut that. Jeremy needs to get to the damn tree quicker. You know, it was like, sure. he's running around in, in the background with his, in his underwear. And I, I like, he's got to be in this shot. So it was like a bunch of crazy shit like that. So cops came thinking we had a crackhead on the streets running around <laughs> his underwear. And they're like, what is this fucking guy doing just in his underwear running around the streets? And we're like, at three o'clock in the morning, we're like, oh, sorry, we're shooting a movie. They're like, okay, we didn't hear that. We're going to drive yeah. around the block. We're going to come back in 25 minutes and you fuckers better be gone. And we're like, okay. And we would shoot for 25 minutes. And then they would, we were like, all right, they said 25 minutes. We got to go now or they're going to stop us. You know, when we go two blocks over. So it was like, we would shoot and then we'd pack up and run out of there. And they were just kind enough to let us finish. And so, and so anyways, that, that one turned out to be amazingly successful. We worked with like five of our best friends and, yeah. uh, and, and we got representation. And then the first thing awesome. the representation says is, "Okay, stop screwing Don't around." These ever little show cheap- anybody this shitty little movie again. <laughs> oh yeah, and they were like, "Hey." And what, sorry, reps are like agents. You mean or managers? We got a manager. Whatever. I I had this. Uh, here's a good thing for for you know career building, right? So while we were living in our apartment uh, over in Hollywood, I we read uh, Rebels on the Backlot. Rebels on the Backlot. Sharon Waxman's amazing fucking book. And what it talked about in there is we were big Tarantino fans. So we were like in Paul Thomas Anderson fans and all, obviously all the 90s yeah, filmmakers. Like, we were fucking lapping it up. So we were we read this read this book and it talks about this manager named Catherine James who was Roger Avery and Quentin Tarantino manager uh, while they were trying to come up and all mm-hmm. the way through him doing like Pulp. And I think that's where it ended after Pulp. But so she was his manager and she the, the, the cool stories in there would be like she's this son of a she's this daughter of a of a preacher out of the midwest and and she would go into these uh like agents and producers and big companies with scripts tarantino's and avery's and other people's that she believed in and they would literally say in the book like that she would stand on the fucking table she would burst in while they were in a meeting sorry don't go in there Catherine. she would burst into a meeting and be like why haven't you read that fucking script i sent it to you two weeks ago it's the best fucking thing I've ever had. Da, 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 da. She'd stand on their desk while they're in a meeting and be like, you need to read this script. And they'd be like, what the H? And then she would just get out and walk out. And she's like, and, and they were like, but she's a tiger. Like she's yeah. like a brownie making mother who is a tiger and a half. And we're like, that's who we fucking need. We need that woman. I want sure. someone standing on tables um, who knows how to do this, who broke Tarantino and Roger Avery, like some of our heroes. Um, so I started, I find her email. 
right? And I'm like, okay, I'm fucking emailing this woman. Sure. So I I email her and I'm like, hey, here's who we are. You know, we're this brother making sure. film duo. Not as audacious as standing on her desk, but no. yeah, yeah. And so I just email her and I I ship it off. Nothing. A week later, I'm like, I'm fucking doing it again. I email her again. And every time I'm saying new shit, because we were actually in the middle of Night of the Dog at that point. So I was like, hey, we did this movie, Squirrel Trap, you know, got into a few festivals. Then the next one, I'm like, hey, we won this festival with Night of the Dog. We won this festival with Night of the Dog. So I actually had all these fucking updates coming in. And the other thing I was like, doing- hey, Miramax called. Right, Miramax called, <laughs> Focus called. And then I think the last one that got her was I threw this email out. And we'd already written Fat Man at that point. Wait, and she's not responding to any. She's not any really responding to zero. She's Ian, not responding to anything. Ian is like water torture. Like it's just <laughs> so, like very like. But it was all very positive. It you was would all make a good. You would, make, you would make a good for a good publicist. Yeah, for, truly. <laughs> is it a different thread each time, or are you replying to the same thread? No, no, different thread, different email. Hey, yeah, it's yeah. Ian again. You know that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, and every time I tell her about something new, either we won a festival or. Hey, we just got into this festival or, and, and I would always sort of finish with like the exciting project that we had, like that we were pumped about either a mm-hmm. script that we had written and we just did a polish on or a script that we we're thinking about writing or a script that got a great read from our neighbor. Who's a, a first AD on a TV show, you know, like stupid shit like that. But that's what we had. That's all we fucking had. So I would just email and you weren't, things. you weren't sending the same email to 30 other no, reps. one. I had one in mind. Um, because I, I figured, I figured we have a, we have a, in our minds, in our mind at that time, right. We had a certain aesthetic that we were writing like, and it was kind of like this crime thriller. It, it, it was a funky crime thriller, like with comedic undertones, you know, and emulating, but not really emulating. Like there's like, like, really I, emulating, no, yeah. but I mean, like we love Tarantino. We love, uh, um, David O. Russell. David O. Russell. Like, you like, knew she was Anderson. the person for you. Like, right. I felt like, like she would get it yeah. because we were a little funky. You know what I mean? We weren't like, yeah. oh, this is a, a fucking Hallmark original. Oh, this is a – we didn't sure. fit in a box at all. And everybody she was repping didn't fit in a box. Um, and I was like, we don't fit in a box. I think this is our girl. So I, I, start, I emailed her for six weeks straight. Every week I would send her a new email. Um, and finally on the sixth week – and it was it's funny because the email I sent – um, had Fat Man in it. We'd we'd finished that script, or we were about to finish that script, and I I sent it to her. And this is maybe like 2005. That's when we like fin- I think we finished that Fat Man script in 2005. You can fucking wow. believe that. 15 years before you shot it. Yeah. So Fair. I I sent her like, hey, this is what this is what this is what we've got. This cool script, Fat Man, some Santa, blah blah blah. And sh- and so she writes me back like three days later, and I'm like, holy shit. She wrote us back. Like it's been fucking six weeks of water torture and she finally wrote us back. Um, but I stayed super positive. I was never pissy in the email or a dick or, st- you know, like getting uh, uppity that she wasn't, wasn't uh, getting back to me. I just stayed super naively positive. And uh, she gets back to me and she's like, that sounds interesting. Send me the fat man script. And I'm like, oh shit, okay. She's gonna fucking read something. Holy shit! So I send her the fact. That's Man like script. so Hollywood too, right? You you write Dude. paragraphs and they yes. respond in like six words. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what she did. She sent like this little email. That sounds interesting. Send Fat Man. I'm like, fuck, okay, shit. I send it off. So, like, it must have been midnight on like, and I I had I think I had told her, hey, we work late. We're up till like two o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, working on this shit. Blah 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 blah. Just just pouring out my heart a little bit in some of these emails. <laughs> So she calls us at like midnight or one o'clock in the morning and she's like, 
Which is so Catherine. Which is fucking Catherine to the hilt. It's like what you read about him. You're like excited to have happen, right? Especially in your early 20s. She called us at like one o'clock in the morning or midnight or something was like, this is Catherine, Catherine James. And I was like, holy shit. She's on the fucking phone at one o'clock in the morning. She's like, I've read Fat Man. I really enjoyed it. I think we need to get some Italian food and sit down and talk about this. And we're like, (laughs) holy fuck. So she's like- Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So she's like, let's uh what's your Wednesday look like or whatever. And uh two or three days later, we're sitting down with her at this Italian restaurant. Um, and she couldn't be more amazingly eccentric. She's like, I hope you don't mind, but I I I stand on tables while I eat. <laughs> well, she's just she's so That's fucking fear amazing. Of sitting down. She, yeah, she was super quirky. She would go to these restaurants and she would be like, Do you have any fresh basil? And we're like, fuck, dude, what the fuck? And she's like, you're an Italian restaurant. She's like, I need fresh basil. They're like, uh, okay, let me, you know, let me see if I can get you that. Uh, let me see. Uh, and we're right next to yeah, a grocery store. Probably. Right? Yeah. And they would run over there and literally get it for her. And she'd be like, I want, uh, they're like, can I see your dessert menu? And she'd bring the dessert menu. And then she'd be like, do you have fresh cream? And they're like, what? <laughs> fresh cream and strawberries. That's all I really want. Just a dish of fresh cream with strawberries in it. She'd order that everywhere, and everyone was just like flipping out, trying to get just strawberries and fresh cream. Um, and she was just wildly uh, eccentric and awesome and fucking. So we just sit there and talk to her about the script. She gets excited, and at the very end of it, she's just like, "Okay, I think I'm repping you guys." And we're like, "Holy fuck!" Um, and so she picked us up, and we were with her, I think, for four years. Yeah. Um, and she was fucking awesome. She calls at three or four o'clock in the morning while we were still working and just fucking talk fucking business. It was crazy. She calls normal hours too. And then she'd like invite us over at two o'clock in the morning or midnight and just be like, you guys still up? Uh, I'm thinking about making brownies or I'm thinking about making just some butter with some toast and uh, some fresh garlic. And we're like, fuck, all right, we're coming over. You know, we drive over the hill, took 15 minutes in the middle of the night. Uh, she was just amazing. Um, and so we just sit there and talk movies with her. We, we were with her for four years. Um, yeah, I, and she would just give us like scripts to read, and she had like a whole wall oh, of fuck. That was the that was the fucking amazing thing, right? We're all our heroes. She's got all their old scripts and shit that didn't sell in piles around the house, like stacked, like fucking a hoarder. I remember before my best friend's birthday came out, like she had a copy of it. She was like, "Hey, do you want to see Quentin's first movie?" And like, hey, do you want to read the fucking script? So she would like hand us like this eighty-page script that was my best friend's birthday, and we're like, "What the fuck is this? I've never heard of this." Yeah, she's like, "Oh, do you want to meet Craig? He wrote it with him." Oh, like, you want to read this? Rod, these two or three Roger Avery scripts I have that have never been produced that like got him in a ton of rooms. We're like, ah, uh, yes, <laughs> you know, it was like a bunch of crazy shit like that. She's like, "Oh, let me see," and she'd go into like a six foot high pile of stacked screenplays and I start going through them and trying to find it. Like she's she like, guys, spot me. <laughs> the towers, like, wait, wait. Over. So did you guys make anything with her? Um, she got us a bunch of meetings and we met a ton of people that were producers that were at Warner brothers and uh, like Eric, Eric Olson, we're still buddies with, yeah. and we haven't made anything with Eric yet, but like he was, wait. he was running uh dark castle, which was a, which was a wing of, uh, uh, Joel Silver at Warner Brothers when he has a deal at Warner Brothers. But it's, See, unfortunately, you're okay. you're in your like uh, your building phase, right? Like you've got a couple films under your belt, a little bit of attention, but it's like it's networking time, right? It's not just your buddies at the uh, movie theater anymore. It's like you're on the water bottle tour for a, yes. for a while. Basically. Yeah, well, like you guys know how to make a movie, but now you're yeah. learning yeah. how Hollywood works. How to, so how they to, were like, yeah, they were movie. like, okay, write a fucking script that we can actually fund. Let's get out of the $10,000 and below category and do something mm-hmm. real. And that was before Mumblecore. That was before the $10,000, you know, Mumblecore movement or dog dogma fucking movies were really kicking off. 
And so sure. Joe and wasn't you guys still, yet. It wasn't, you guys it wasn't are the... still Tony Roma's Arclight? Yes. Yes, we are. I can't oh, you know what? Actually, I, I started a swim business yeah. at that point, and I was I was teaching two and three year olds to swim, and I was probably uh, storyboarding at this moment. Yeah, so two year olds, come on. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yes. Year Back and a half. Floats? We got a year and a half. No, swimming across the pool with breaths at a year oh. and a half. I got big. Oh wow. <laughs> it's not everybody. That's, it's not that's, everybody. That's it's crazy. the phenom kid that can do that. But you get the athletic ones, and you're like, oh shit, little Billy's gonna be, you know, it's gonna be that protege, little Phelps. <laughs> um, but we would, but. But we would we would go over, hang out with her. She'd get us these crazy meetings uh, based on these scripts but, that we would write. And, and unfortunately, she ended up passing away. Yeah, um, Catherine Catherine was you know cancer survivor. Um, had beat it three times before. We didn't know this when we when we got rep by her, and unfortunately, it came back and, and took her. Yeah, but, it took her. I can't remember what year it was, but it was after four years after we we got repped by her, and uh, we stayed with her until she passed away. And she ended um, up lining us up with other reps. Yeah, she she got us a rep at ICM while we were with her at the end there because we had a script that had kind of caught on a little bit, um, and that was getting us in a ton of rooms. It got us into ICM. Um, Heyday Pictures was going to do it at the time, and then ended up not doing it. Um, but from, from that attention, we started getting agents mm -hmm. and managers, you know, she got us another manager and we had an agent. Um, yeah. But, but it, it was, that, that entered like a very kind of frustrating phase, but we're grateful for it now because we didn't end up making anything for several years, except short films. Mm -hmm. Um, right. Not several, but what was it from 2005 or six years six to 2011? Well, we did Lost five purpose. years, five years. Yep. Yeah. So, so it was five years of us just writing our asses off and getting close, a lot of close. Mm -hmm, and then we got mm -hmm. really pissed off and frustrated. And we're like, what got us here was making stuff. We got to get back out there. Oh, it was a very Patton-esque moment as we were cheering each other on. And then we like, let's go do it. Yeah. I, I, I am curious. Awesome. So before we get into, uh, I know it's, it's crazy that I'm saying this, but before we get into like that, that galvanized moment of like, let's go do it again. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm curious about those years when, you're in those rooms and it feels close. Like you're getting, you're getting heat. You wrote a cool script that people are excited about. Right. You're lunching at the Chateau Marmont. Yeah. Like you know, like it feels real. It feels like Hollywood producers, you know, you know, somebody's valeting your car or whatever, you know, like it feels real. What were the things that made you think these movies were going to happen? What, like what kept you from, going to shoot another thing do you know what i mean like what are those those yeah. false flags is what i'm getting at we well, got so close with this script yeah i mean like, we had actors uh, two or three years attached dragging you know, on uh, like actors famous actors on. yeah i mean they're well known i mean we just made a movie with one of them yeah so we would we would we would <laughs> we would attach these folks i don't want i don't want to get too crazy into it just because it's it gets i don't know we, sure. we had name actors on this script and a couple of a few iterations of it. Um, and it was a, like a five, six million dollar movie. We had uh, new Regency was going to fund it and we were mm -hmm. marching. We had an Oscar winner that was a producer on it. And it was like marching down the aisle. We were like, holy shit, it's happening. It's finally. Oh, my God. Like mm -hmm. our lives are changing, you know, in like I mean, we were like, hey, like we, we were at, at that point. So it's such disbelief. We're like we went to our agent. We're like, what do we tell people? They're like, tell people you're making this movie. Yeah. And it's got mm -hmm. this person. And it's and got this person. person and this person in it. And we're like, fuck, oh, my God, this is like it's happening. Like, and call then, your parents. Let them know. And then like three months later, we like just nothing had happened. And we're like, guys, what's going on? You know what? We need these meet like the meetings with the actors so we can like, we're, uh, you know, like nothing. Just nothing was coming together. But I would tell you this, like every every turn someone was trying to pull the rug out from under us for sure in a, in a respect mm -hmm. 
Um, with that one, they ultimately were trying to do a bait and switch on us and like get us off of as as directors because we hadn't directed anything but those two, you know, a fifteen hundred dollar or five thousand dollar film with nobody in them, just us and our friends. So they were like, one of the big excuses was, well, you guys don't know how to you don't know how to deal with a list actors, and you're you, now you have a list actors on this, and I don't think you guys can handle it. And we're like, we can handle it. And we would do meetings with the it's, actors, and yeah, talk to them, yeah. and they're like, hey, we're on board. The actors were like, hey, we're on board. These guys know what the fuck they're talking about. Let's go. Let's go. And then uh, we would get a call two or three days later from the producers saying, hey, look, I know that meeting went really well, but we're not confident. It's our contacts. It's our money. And what we want to do is get a friend of ours who just got nominated for an Oscar for a short film to direct it. And we're mm-hmm. like, I see what's happening. They've been kind of holding out that this guy is going to direct it. And they're kind of telling him he's going to get to. And we are the roadblock because we keep having successful meetings with execs <laughs> and with <laughs> actors. We're kind of fucking this up for them. <laughs> so they thought and we were, were the shorts that, that you made, like kind of proving that you can direct. They weren't representative of the tone or scope. Nothing. Of we didn't have it. anything really that was we, night of the dog was semi representative of it, but the budget and the lighting, and it just looked like shit. It looked like two idiots <laughs> out there shooting that didn't even go to film school is what it looked like. You know what I mean? But highly entertaining writing's good, you know, or whatever. And like, uh, we, 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 we just did not have their confidence for whatever reason. Uh, many reasons. Let me and, say many and reasons. Then, and I, this happens to, I think, every filmmaker when they come to L.A. They have a project. They got some mm-hmm. interest. People are talking. And every single writer-director at some point is asked by a friend of theirs, hey, if they just offered to make your movie for $6 million, mm-hmm. would you be okay not directing? Hey, everyone. We are interrupting this episode with the Nelms Brothers uh, their stories are so fun and so good. Talk about a cliffhanger. So good. We did talk to them for over two hours, and we really didn't want to cut too much from the conversation, so we decided to split this episode up into two parts. You will hear the riveting conclusion to the Nelms Brothers episode. Another full hour of how they made Fat Man and how they made Red Right Hand. Their new movie with Orlando Bloom. All the fun stuff. Now that I think about it, their publicists will probably be like, wait, you didn't release the Red Right Hand info <laughs> in the episode that's supposed to come out right around Red Right Hand? Well, we talked about it in the intro, so we got it. Check out the movie, but also come back next week for the second half of our conversation with with Ian and Eshen Nelms, and you will have your brain blown. Blown. Or at least, at least you'll hear some fun stories and you'll kind of hear how they went from tiny no-budget movies to giant movie star movies uh, in a very quick 15, 20 years. Yeah. Like (laughs) Like the rest of us. Overnight successes. Uh, Okay. We'll catch you next time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 